Episode 23 of Logicast, the AWS news podcast brought to you by Logicata. I'm Carl Robinson, CEO and co-founder of Logicata, and I'm joined by my colleague, John, as always, Goodall. Uh, how are you doing today, John? <laughs> that's not going to get old, is it? No, that's not going to get old. No, I'm good. My, my solar panel export tariff finally went live, so I'm now being paid for Woo-hoo. the sun. And the sun is shining in the UK, which is very rare indeed. Uh, And we're also joined today uh, by a very special guest and AWS hero, Brian Tarbox. Brian, you're our first hero on the podcast, but we have managed to launch the careers of two other heroes um, because two of our previous guests recently uh, achieved the status of AWS hero after coming on the podcast. So I'm not sure what the future holds for you after coming on the podcast, Brian. But uh, yeah, tell us a bit about yourself, Brian. Okay, uh, thank you. And uh, uh, many people are like, "How do you become a hero?" And it's like, "Well, clearly the podcast is the uh, is the answer." Um, so I've been a, a, a hero for um, a few years. Yeah, my family will say it just because I talk a lot. Um, uh, I also recently became uh, got named as an Alexa champion, um, which is a similar designation in the Alexa space. And I'm I'm pretty sure I am actually the only one who has both. Um, so that, that's kind of cool. Um, I've, I've been doing Amazon work for about 10 years. I run the Boston um, AWS meetup. Um, I have the usual set of certs and stuff. And, you know, I've got 10, 10 patents, um, uh, lots of them in, in, uh, in the streaming area. But bizarrely, my first three patents were in user interface design, which for, you know, someone who's being, been doing the server side for, you know, 400 years. And it's like, yeah, I remember there used to be users, right? Um, it's a strange to have some patents in user interface space. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, I'm actually, um, as we as we speak, I'm, I'm about to be between jobs because my, my current consulting company um, is folding <laughs> and we'll, 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 uh, we'll watch the news to see if anyone will never tell us why. <laughs> I think I actually did see something in the news about that this morning when I was doing my daily scan. Um, I saw an article. Um, so I'm not sure if we're allowed to mention uh, the name of the, the company, but uh, I'm not going to. Um, but uh, yeah, I did, I did see an article about that. So Right. Amazon, uh, we had been a top tier consulting partner and then um, Amazon kicked the company uh, to the curb and, um, you know, us poor folks who do the actual work, we have no idea, you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the grunts never know what, what's actually happening, but um, when it's, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say any more because I don't want to get called to testify. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should talk about it on ne- next week's podcast with someone else. Um, so uh, yeah, fair enough. Uh, fair enough. But, but I'm so- sure. Uh, I'm sure a man with your skills, Brian, being a hero and a champion and holding all those patents, will be snapped up in no time. Um, so uh, anyway, we're not here to uh, to badmouth uh, Brian's former employer uh, or to talk about AWS community. We are here to talk about AWS. AWS news. So if you're new to the podcast, um, every week I collate a uh, list of AWS news, which I circulate in my weekly AWS 
news roundup newsletter. Uh, and then John and I pick a subset of the articles from the newsletter that we'd like to talk about in a little bit more detail um, with our guests. So we've got a set of articles this week. And the first of those is an article from the AWS Compute blog, um, which is entitled Secure Connectivity from Public to Private, Introducing EC2 Instance Connect Endpoint. Um, so this is a new secure way to connect to your EC2 instances, a new feature that was launched last week. So. John, tell us a little bit more about this, because uh, I know you're regularly connecting to EC2 instances. This is going to make your life easier? Um, might make my life different. I wouldn't say easier, particularly, if I can get that word out. Um, this is more in the same vein of AWS trying very hard to kill the need for a VPN. This is what this is, realistically. So Instance Connect, it's an endpoint that you can connect to without needing to go over a VPN. And then you can talk to instances in private subnets that don't necessarily have internet access or kind of routes out or routes in or anything like that. You can kind of sort of get to them. You do still need to be kind of in the right security groups and all of that is still in place. Uh, so you kind of the security is still handled from that perspective, but it does mean that you don't have to worry about bastion servers or sometimes they're called jump boxes, which makes a bit more sense. Um, to kind of get to them and, and that kind of thing. It is only for EC2s, and what I find I use Bastions for a lot is RDS instances, so it'd be nice to see that coming along. Um, but I'm sure it'll get there. I'm sure it will. Uh, but yeah, as I say, this is another thing in the list of services that AWS is releasing to try and get rid of the need for a VPN endpoint. Because the other way you'd do this before this is you'd use a, a client VPN endpoint and then you connect to the VPN using OpenVPN and then you can connect your instances that way via the private IP address. Um, but this is this is kind of more of the same, more good, more better. Um, it's nice, it works, it's relatively simple and, and as I say, because it's, it's not using a VPN, you have to worry about configuring that and configuring VPNs is a pain. If I can just a, a, a couple of thoughts, I mean, it's the how to get into your EC2 instances has you know definitely evolved over the years, and you know I will say I've I've drunk the uh, the serverless Kool Aid, so you know I I tend to Amazon doesn't like it when I describe EC2 as legacy, but um, <laughs> um, but you know it used to be okay SSH keys, and we all know how you know how how bad that can be, and then it's you know you know SSM. You know that's that's a, an easier um, way to get in. Um, I will say some of some of the customers I've been working with lately are, are Windows based, and so then it's it's RDP, um, and um, and there there are folks who really uh, prefer something like Parsec, um, you know, over RDP. But then you do have to have a Parsec server that straddles, you know, that, that straddles the, um, the, the boundary. Um, and so I had actually had recently asked, because as you said, this is brand new. Um, can this instance endpoint work with um, work with the Windows instances? And you know the answer was yes. Um, and it and ends up coming in. It, it ends up looking like RDP. Um, there have been some questions about okay, and how do I set up the user and you know you know because I you know I guess in Windows you always go go in as administrator or often end up going as as administrator. You know, even though that has its own set of issues, so waiting to see how that shakes out. But I, you said it's only for EC2 instances. I I had read that there were a bunch of other things you could 
get into, like you could actually use this to get into you an Elasticast, an ela- elastic cash cluster. Boy, that's hard on one coffee. Um, <laughs> so, um, so it's interesting to see where 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 this one will go. I think I think this is this is absolutely you know version one Wait for one point one soon, and God knows yeah. what in the reinvent time frame. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I'm assuming it's EC2 because it's EC2 Instance Connect. Anything that's EC2 backed, you could probably get to if it exposes a private IP address. I mean, a lot of RDS is EC2 backed, but they never really tell you where they're sitting. Um, various nodes and things you can sometimes do it. So it's it might be doable, but as you say, wait for 1.1 and then this will look quite exciting. Right, but it is. It's I. I you know. I don't know. Obviously, I'm in. AWS cheerleader, but I think this, you know, I, I say I haven't drunk the Kool-Aid, I've waterboarded the Kool-Aid. Um, <laughs> but, which is a term I wanted to take off, but it's sort of it's like, do we want it's, it's not not sure that's a good connotation. Um, uh, but it does seem like an, an another example of Amazon looking at at a pain point and trying to make it easier. Cool. Yeah. That's definitely a thing. I mean, I, I've drunk the serverless Kool-Aid as well. I drank it by the gallon. I am a serverless CB, so it, it's, yeah. But working for an MSP, I have to deal with these sorts of things. Much as I want to tell all of our customers, stop logging onto servers, export your logs, slap it in a container or something and move on. But, you know, softly, right, softly. Right. right. I, 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 at, at, a, at a recent company, I did a gig where we were, geez, I don't even know what we were ended up trying to do, but it was like, it was, uh, it, it was all Lambda and, um, you know, RDS Aurora, and and some of my devs were like, well, how do I log into things? I said, you don't, not my system, Bucko. And they're like, well, how do we tell what's going on? I said, you observe, you look at using the observability tools that you have built into your system because you have built-in observability tools into your system, right? You know, and, um, and, and it's funny, I'll say um, with my Alexa skill, which is all Lambda-based, of course, at, at one point, Amazon... Um, uh, promoted my skill didn't tell me of course and um i got you know 100x the uh, the traffic for a week and i didn't even notice it until i looked at my charts because it was lambda it just scaled it just worked did you notice it when you looked at your bill or did it remain within free tier <laughs> um uh it's well i write efficiently i write efficient code so my skills don't run for very long um uh so i mean well that's actually the other thing too with with, with alexa you know in, in a voice conversation like this, you know, if there's more than a 200, 200, 250 millisecond pause, it feels odd. So, you know, you want your, you know, I write my lambdas to be really, really quick. Yeah. So, I no, I, say- I, in, in seven years for running that lambda, I think I've paid 10 cents altogether. Wow. <laughs> Uh, I'm really glad I unplugged my Echo Dot before we recorded this episode. I think <laughs> she might have been chirp- chirping up every uh, 30 seconds, but uh, yeah, it's part of my pre-podcast checklist is unplug the Echo Dot. Uh, anyway, let's uh, let's move swiftly on to our next article. We touched a little bit on uh, cost there, um, and this one uh, is firmly in the cost arena, uh, which is an article on um, how to save. Uh, money on EC2 hosting. The title is Dear Business Owner, Here's a Free Way to Save Thousands on Amazon EC2 Hosting. And there was one thing that uh, I liked about this article, actually. There's quite a lot of things in there that we we know already, and they're probably worth talking about just to kind of reiterate and reinforce. Um, but the Amazon credit card was a new one on me, um, uh, getting mm. cash back from your Amazon credit card 
for your Amazon bill. Um, I'm not sure that's something that I'd, uh, I'd ever heard of before. It's certainly not something that had registered. Is this something you've come across, Brian, paying for your Amazon bill with your Amazon credit card? Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm actually surprised that that's allowed. Um, uh, because, I don't know, can I get, you know, can I get flight points for my company's $6 million Amazon bill? Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it seems like, uh, somebody gets the, somebody gets the points, I guess, but, um, I, I wouldn't, I, huh. I didn't mean this to sound funny, but I wouldn't bank on that feature existing for a long time. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, it, 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 it seems it seems sketchy. I mean, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I, I kind of picked it out because honestly, it felt like a sales pitch for getting an Amazon credit card, which just feels a bit wrong. But paying for this sort of thing on your credit card in the small and medium-sized business space is absolutely something that I've seen a lot historically because cash flow capital and obviously it's the only way you can kind of get going anyway is you must start your account with the credit card until you get to a certain level and then you can start doing invoicing and bank transfers and what have you but absolutely putting things on credit cards and then not necessarily using it to save money but saving money in a roundabout oh we get a bit of money back or whatever that's a thing it's absolutely a thing and then of course you're not technically paying the bill when you're paying the bill you're paying it and you're paying off period which is you know a few a month later or whatever so it's certainly a thing and then as you quite rightly say carl it then starts talking about things like reserved instances and computer scheduling and all the rest of it i don't like that it calls them hacks everything has to be a hack these days it's just okay whatever but yeah it was it was a very interesting one as a well, as a way of saving money and and it's funny when you talk about reserved instances um i'm 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 working with a customer and I have to be careful because I'm I'm going to absolutely protect their, but um, um, there's reserved there's of course several types of reserved instances there's the regional and the zonal, um, and um, there's also the whole issue of availability in that as as the entire world has discovered said oh ChatGPT everything has to be ChatGPT you know um, and all those things run better on um, GPUs. And so suddenly uh, GPUs are, are hard to find. Um, and you can run into the dreaded, um, you know, no in, insufficient capacity. Um, it's like, Amazon, you have insufficient capacity? That's, oh. And so uh, there's, in addition to the reserved instances, there's also a capacity reservation. And so I actually am about to publish a paper on the cost the cost trade-offs between a capacity reservation and a zonal reserved instance, because a zonal reserved instance, you actually do actually re you reserve um, the capacity. So you know those ten GPUs are yours, and no one else can touch them, which means that you're paying for them all the time. You know, of course. Well, that is something I've come across actually in, in DR strategies and things, where if your strategy is your kind of of pilot light or, or warm standby or whatever. If you actually need to spin your DR up, everyone and their mum is going to be trying to move into another region. So you should have some reserved instances and some reserved capacity in those regions already. So you've got the capacity there already and you're not fighting with everybody else. Right. But if you do that, then it's not really it's it's not a warm standby. It's, no, well, it's hot. It's, it's just warm. hot. It's, it's, it's lukewarm. Um, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're paying for it. The, part of the part of the interesting thing is that 
Um, if, if you crunch the numbers on a, a zonal RI, especially for these large GPU instances, and you compare that with a capacity reservation, uh, capacity reservation actually comes out cheaper. And a capacity reservation you can stop um, at any time. Now, of course, once you stop it, you no longer have the guarantees. Um, but it's, um, it actually is cheaper than a zonal RI. And a zonal RI, um, you, you're locked into the one or three year term and they don't participate in the, mar in the marketplace. So companies have to play the game of, if I know I'm gonna be busy now, and then here, I'm probably not gonna be as busy and I can predict that over here, I'm gonna be busy again, which sometimes is the case. What you can do is have your reserve capacity, then cut the reserve capacity, wait about half of the time that you don't need it, and then grab capacity. Um, and then you can and then you can save some money. The other thing I found is that because it, uh, and and this is, this actually is a hack, and it's not a hack that I want to continue doing. But um, uh, since the GPU instances, since the big instances are expensive, um, if you get a insufficient capacity during the day, uh, they're expensive, so people will turn them off at night. So I have a client where um, the protocol is that at two in the morning I go and reserve some instances for them because. Um, so they're free. And it's like, mm -hmm. okay, let's not call this the ongoing plan, but it just shows that, you know, you think of Amazon as, oh my God, it's elastic everything. And we have so much capacity that we can do spots. It's like, good luck getting a spot instance on the GPU these days. Yeah, the GPU shortage is far from over. It's been rumbling on for ages now, but yeah, it's, it's starting to affect things other than gamers. So people are paying attention. One thing I did notice that was seemed to be missing from this article was uh, the whole concept of savings plans, uh, compute savings plans, which, of course, we're pushing on a more regular basis now. And I did notice when I was in the AWS pricing tool myself at the back end of last week that the reservations have now been pushed down into the kind of other options section. So in the, um, in the pricing tool, it's the savings plans that are front and center. And you've actually got to click a link to expand some other options further down to now find the reserved instance options. So interesting right. to, to, to see what the future of reserved instances is. But it's clear that AWS are trying to steer people more towards um, the savings plan options. Right. I actually saw um, a banner across the top. I forget which screen I was on where it said, um, we recommend that people use savings plans instead of our eyes. And now, of course, there's... There's savings plans and savings plans. There's there's the general savings plan. There's the compute savings plan. There's the um, the uh, you know hey Amazon I'll spend two million dollars so just give me general you know general credits and then you can definitely you can get into the situation where um, you do one of those plans where you agree with Amazon that you're going to spend two million dollars and then some clever engineer. Uh, finds a way to save you all kinds of money and you get to the end of the term and like oh my god we've got to spend a hundred thousand dollars today or else we won't meet our quota and it will cost us six hundred thousand it's like like brian brian how do we spend a hundred thousand dollars i'm like okay give me money. <laughs> i can spend money you know i'll spend some of worst problems to have right right right, right. Uh, I'll, I'll find one of those 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 big giant gpus and i'll spend a bunch of them <laughs> i don't know as as our as architects, I I understand the cost is one of the pillars, but it shouldn't be the primary pillar. Absolutely not, no. But 
on that note, talking about cost, um, you've written an article about cost yourself, Brian, um, around uh, S3 and uh, S3 intelligent tiering, etc. So um, tell us a little bit about uh, about this article that you've recently published. Okay. Um, and this this is based on an experience I had at a company. I probably shouldn't name their name, but um, the uh, but so everyone thinks they have big data, and 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 the the, the folks who do genomics we, we laugh at everyone else who thinks they have big data because genomics we have we really do have big data, um, and so S three becomes massively uh, expensive, and so um, and most people have gone through the or. I mean, there are a bunch of errors that we all tend to make, and I should write a book on, I've made this error, please don't make it, um, where you take all your data and you move it into infrequent access and you save 50% until some um, eager data scientist decides to redo their model by recrunching all of your data. And then you pay the, react the rehydration cost for all of your data and you decide infrequent access is the devil's work and whoever suggested it you know, needs to be killed. And the, the 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 thing that people don't get, and this and this is what the article says, is there's a difference between infrequent access and intelligent tiering infrequent access. Because in regular infrequent access, um, you pay a lower charge, but you pay a charge if the if the if the the, the object is actually used. In intelligent tiering, and there's five levels of intelligent tiering, and we recommend using just the three in general. There's intelligent tiering, SA, standard access, um, infrequent access, and then the oddly named Glacier instant access. And it's like, um, I, I don't know if that's somehow a nod to climate change. It's a glacier, but it's melted. So what? <laughs> We're all going to die anyway. So we'll save you some money along the way. Um, but in, in intelligent tiering, um, you, you pay... A, a pretty small amount for the management of paying attention to an object. But intelligent tiering doesn't apply to really small objects, which is fine because you only care about the cost for the big objects. So if you take your, if you have all your genomic data or just any big data and you put it into intelligent tiering and then you let it transition to infrequent access and glacier, you get the cost savings. And then if somebody actually touches the data, it simply moves back to in intelligent tiering standard access. And so you don't have the cost savings anymore, but you do not pay the penalty of the, of the you know, reaccess charge. And that's all the, the difference. And people have said, but how can Amazon offer this? You know, how can it be essentially free money? And it's like, well, just like the credit card, um, it doesn't necessarily have to make sense, but it is true. And we've done, we've run tests and, um, if you look at the performance numbers, they say, oh, in, um, infrequent intelligent tiering, infrequent intelligent tiering, Glacier Instant um, are, you know, within three or four um, percent of first byte access times of regular SA. And that's true. Um, run tests. It's true. So um, if you do intelligent tiering, that's kind of like free money. Um, now, um, you can um, start objects in standard access and then have a life cycle rule that moves them to infrequent or moves them to intelligent tearing after a week because i mean after all s3 objects are are immutable you know we make it look like you can update them but really you're either replacing or making a new version um but most objects don't get changed much you know after the first week or so so you can do some life cycle stuff it's unclear if you have to do that um 
but there are some life cycle things you should do for security because this this also feeds into security. Um, uh, one of my my favorite terms, and I wish I had invented it, but sadly I did not invent it. But we can pretend that I invented it, and whoever actually invented it has to claim otherwise. Is um, we all heard of um, uh, denial of service, but there's also denial of wallet. <laughs> um, so um, if if I was a bad actor, which hopefully I'm not. Um, so if a bad actor wants to mess with you, they can rent, they can, you know, encrypt your S3 data or delete it, but you notice it. Okay. Instead, if you're one of those folks who has versioning turned on, um, what I would do as a bad actor is just make a crap ton of versions. I'd pick your biggest objects and make version after version after version of them. And you wouldn't necessarily notice, but your bill would start getting larger and larger and larger. And most people don't ever look at the number of versions. But there are lifecycle rules you can put in that say, never have more than, say, two versions, or never have more than three versions. Um, but then you have to match that with object lock. And, and tell me if I'm going too long, but you know, in, in object lock, um, basically you can say, nobody can touch it. And there's two modes of object lock, because Amazon has to make everything complicated. But in compliance, I think it's, there's compliance and governance mode, and I always forget which one is which. But in one of the modes, you say, I want this object locked for this period of time. And if you do that, Nobody, not even Amazon, can unlock the data or delete the data. So, so get your object into S3. Um, you know, after a week or so, lock it, and then have lifecycle rules that say no more than than two versions. And so, if a, if a bad actor got in and started messing with your top version, um, they could create another version, but then the lifecycle rule would delete the oldest one, but it can't delete the one with object lock. So you protect that. So you protect your integrity of your data and you protect your wallet. And that's sort of the defense against ransomware. And this is all fairly doable. And you just have to believe folks that it really does save. I mean, we save 3 million bucks a year. Wow. That is impressive. But let's, <laughs> uh, let, let's, let's use that segue of uh, bad actors um, to move on to our next article, um, which is about... Uh, the famed leaky buckets. So we've spoken about leaky buckets on the podcast before. Um, here we've got another fairly high profile leaky bucket that made it into the press last week. Uh, this was the Lantum S3 bucket leak. Um, and it's another classic L Reg headline. Lantum S3 bucket leak is prescription for chaos for thousands of UK doctors. Uh, Lantum, of course, is a... Um, an online uh, service for uh, locum doctors. Um, so this particular leaky bucket uh, has leaked the personal details of all of the doctors, about 3,200 doctors uh, that were registered for the service. Um, and I think the article goes on to describe there being enough data in there uh, to potentially um, recreate those doctors' identities. Um, so there's enough data in there for, uh, for some serious identity fraud here. So uh, what, what are your thoughts on this one, guys? Yeah, it's it. It's not as high profile as other ones. And uh, for our non-UK Western Hemisphere, a locum is functionally it's a freelance doctor, right? They don't work for a health service or for a hospital. They work for themselves and they kind of travel around and they do temping functionally um, related to a couple of doctors. And they'll tell me off of describing it like that. But that's basically what it is. Um, yeah. It's not as high profile as some of the ones that we've seen. It's not the experience and the Equifaxes and the X number of millions of credit reports. It's it's three and a bit thousand um, doctors. So these are 
not vast numbers of people, but these tend to be high net worth individuals. So they are absolutely targets for identity theft. Right. It's it's just, uh, and, and I'll say I haven't read the article in detail, but it's just, there are just standard things that, you know, standard things that you ex expect are, are, are table stakes at this point. You know, one of the first is um, don't name your bucket, you know, honeypot. Um, you know, at, at, at Foundation Medicine, you know, um, you know, if, if we had named the bucket, you know, genomic data that, you know, if you steal would kill people, that might not be the very best bucket name, you know. Um, so, you know, you make your bucket name something obscure and then you have, you know, you have a random string and then you have, you know, uh, some sort of translation service that, that does that. But then... You you turn on Security Hub, you turn on Macy. Um, uh, you know there there are the. It, it's funny in, in consulting. You know I've had you know customers say, "Oh, how scary is that?" Look, and I say, "Look, I'm going to turn on all the services." You know that's that's just table stakes. You know and um, you know so I know if there's PII there. You know I know if there's if there's you know access. You know there's there's Macy, there's Inspector, there's Guard Duty. You know there's there's, there's, and, and if people aren't, if people aren't using these, these services, um, and, you know, some of them cost, but, you know, I don't know, to me, it's, it's just table stakes. Absolutely. It's uh, shocking to hear that this sort of thing is still going on. Um, but uh, I'm conscious of time, guys. We've got one more article that we wanted to talk about this week. And this one, of course, is about the outage uh, that uh, if you, read any of the press or any of the trade press, uh, you may have noticed that Amazon had a uh, fairly major degradation of service last week um, on the 13th of June, I believe it was, um, which uh, has been blamed on Lambda, I think, or at least Lambda uh, was at the uh, kind of core of things. Um, so uh, hopefully this isn't the, uh, the anti-serverless movement uh, jumping on the bandwagon again like they did uh, when uh, the Prime Video guys uh, moved mm. one of their microservices off of Lambda. Uh, but, um, yeah, we, 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 did you have anything affected by this, Brian? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, as soon as it, as soon as it hit in the, in the uh, you know, Alexa Slack groups, we're like, okay, you know, queue up the one-star reviews because, you know, someone at home running an Alexa, you know, trying to run an Alexa skill, it's going to say, skill did not respond. And so, oh, you get a one-star review. And, um, you know, I didn't get nailed by that. But, you know, we saw, you know, the, the world is run by them. I mean, I did make the bad joke in front of one customer saying, hey, now we really are serverless. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, they did, they, you know, sorry. Sometimes sometimes the words come out before, you know, the filter. But, um yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. I mean, every few years there's there's an outage. I mean, I remember back when they had that that giant S3 outage, and they discovered that the red traffic light symbol was on S3, so they couldn't even put up a red traffic light symbol. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's Amazon makes mistakes. Um, I mean, it, it's funny. I mean, the S that that S. I mean, we still don't know the the actual root cause for that thing. The S3 thing was. Uh, an engineer typing the wrong parameter to us to a testing script. You know, they were, they were, it was, you know, I want to bring down, you know, 1% of the S3 actual servers. And they typed, I want to leave up 1% of the S3 servers. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's, one can imagine the Lambda being 
being something like that. I mean, it, it, it is going to be interesting because, you know, you know, we're not supposed to know this, but we all do know that under the covers, lambdas run in containers. Um, so it's be interesting to, uh, to see. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. It's sometimes things break. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's the short version. Sometimes things break. It was a little while ago now, but I remember an outage at Google that brought down half the internet because someone accidentally blacklisted slash blacklisted everything root from Google. And it just went, ah, everything's now malware. So everything was still running, but nobody wanted to go and look at it because it flagged everything as malware, which was just terrible. Right. Well, and, and, and by comparison, I think it was um, about two weeks ago, and I'll just say one of the non-Amazon cloud providers, because I don't want to get more and more but one of them decided to do um, a, uh, a full down upgrade of their entire cloud platform, and their entire cloud platform was down. And it was on a Wednesday. It was down for about six hours. And I was happened to be dealing with a customer who was trying to move off of said platform to Amazon. It's like, you do a breaking upgrade on a Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yes, you know, Amazon gets a black eye this week, but uh, they've, they've generally done better than most. It's a mild, mild bruise. I think it's just one of those yellow eyes, you know, that never really goes black because it was down for what? I think I, I was having a little look at the uh, the status page earlier on, and I think the whole thing lasted for about three hours from kind of initial acknowledgement to everything being fully fine, which in the grand scheme of things, uh, you know, three hours is not a, a, a huge amount of time on this planet. Um, there's no kind of, uh, uh, there's no outage report yet. I don't know whether it, this class is a serious enough problem for there to be one. Uh, I think the last um, outage report on the Amazon site is from the December 2021 issues. So whether this is classed as a big enough problem to get a report, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, as I say, three hours of mildly degraded service on part of the network uh, is not a huge uh, issue in the grand scheme of things. But, of course, the press love a negative story, don't they? So, um, Well, it also, it also depends what you're running. Um, I mean, I'm a pilot. Air traffic controls goes out for three hours. I'm looking for an airport, you know, I'm looking for someplace. <laughs> um, so it, it, uh, there are, there are services that are more or less, um, uh, time critical, but of course, if you've got one of those time critical things, you gotta have, gotta have backups. I'm not, I am not a fan of single points of failure. Even if it's, even if it's a cloud, you gotta have a way, you know, you gotta have some kind of, um, backup plan. I mean, I was working at a company where we were doing, you know, secure prescription, um, secure nar narcotic prescription for patients and someone needs their painkiller i don't care if it's cloud sound they need their painkiller so you got to have you always have to have back up on hey hey my dog wants to participate but hey, hey. <laughs> my dog agrees backup plans dad i'm your backup plan i'm your backup. <laughs> it's normally john's cat that interrupts us mid-podcast but uh lovely to have a uh, a canine friend on the podcast for a change Mine are uh, outside, otherwise they would have loved to have joined in as well. Uh, my cat is on my desk. She's here. But... Well, let's not. we don't want the two to start a fight, so I think there's probably a good good opportunity good for us to, to wrap up for today. Yeah. So um, that was uh, Season 2, Episode 23 of Logicast. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks once again, Brian, for your uh, your insights there. Uh, and my pleasure. Around your, your own article. Real, 
real great pleasure to have you on. Uh, thanks, John, as always, Goodall. Um, I'm sure you'll be back again next week, as always. Um, but uh, that's all we've got time for. We'll see you again next time. Cheers. <laughs>